journey. Uh, I've just got to say, I love you and I miss you. And I cannot wait until we can all be back together. Uh, I was just backstage with Brian earlier and I just said, I am not cut out to be a virtual pastor. I want to be up close and personal with people. Um, And about that same time, I got this little notification on my phone that said my phone use is up 53% this week. So I'm definitely trying to reach out to people because I'm going a little bit stir crazy. We're in week number nine of our series that we're calling Puzzled, putting the pieces of our relationships back together. And you can tell just from the tagline that we put on this series that we understand that relationships can get broken. It's not always easy for relationships to fit together. Sometimes relationships need repair. Sometimes There's conflict. And I bet if you're right now, you are quarantined with your family, even a family that you deeply love, there's probably conflict. Conflict takes all kinds of shapes and forms. I want you to look at this one. Let's watch a little bit of a video. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and... I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. If you would just... That might have been the first 20 years of my marriage. That little video, uh, that's cute. Um... But I also know that you are walking through real conflict in your life, conflict that is not making you laugh. It's keeping you up at night. It's giving you heartburn. It's taking sleep away from you. In this series, we've been working through a chunk of Colossians chapter three where we've been looking at these character qualities of relationships that God wants for us to have. And today is our second week on peace. Here's the scripture from Colossians 3, 
verse 15. Paul says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. This last week, if you tuned in with us, we talked about peace as well, but we were talking a little bit more about internal peace, our inner peace, that peace that passes understanding. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit more about interpersonal peace, relationships with one another. Do we have peace in our relationships? Because as we said earlier, we believe that it's true. If you have relationships, you have conflict. And what we also know is that everybody handles conflict differently. Based on your personality, maybe your family of origin, maybe just your personal history, you all approach conflict a little bit differently. I wanna make a couple of broad categories. One category of ways that we approach conflict is what I would call the avoiders. Within the avoiders, I would say there's the ones that live in denial. They just try to pretend that no conflict exists. They just stuff it down over and over until they explode. There's those that I would call the withdrawers, that when the temperature of relationships start to rise, they start to back away. There's the peacemakers, that they're just like, oh, I'm not gonna have conflict. I'll just say, you win, I lose. I'm gonna do everything I can just to make things feel better. Those are the classic avoiders. But on the other side of the spectrum, we have a group of people that I would call the attackers. One group of the attackers I would call the litigators. They're the ones that just love to argue. They know that they know that they know that they are right. And maybe they're not mean about it, but they just always know that they're right. And then there's the yellers, the people that raise the emotional temperature in a conflict, to try to put the other person down, to try to get what they want, to try to win. Maybe as I listed those, you see yourself in one of those categories. Here's the problem. Oftentimes in relationships, whether it's friendships, dating relationships, even marriage, avoiders find their way into the lives of attackers. And this creates the perfect storm for conflict not to be resolved and for conflict not to be resolved well. Just because there's different approaches to conflict, the Bible is gonna tell us that there's actually one root cause of conflict. And this is what we're gonna do today. We're gonna let the book of James, we're gonna let James chapter four unpack for us pull back the layers of the onion so that we can understand what is at the core of all conflict. Because if we can get our mind around what is at the core of all conflict, maybe we can take a step toward engaging conflict better. Help us out, James. James chapter four, starting in verse one. James just asks a very simple question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you. This rhetorical question, where you're at, where you're sitting, if you're in your living room, if you're driving in your car, ask yourself that question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Think about maybe even a conflict situation in your own life right now. What would you say is the cause of that conflict? 
Here's what happens with most of us. When we start to ask that question, what the cause of the conflict is, we tend to start to look outward. We start to think about the other person that is in this conflict with us. We start to point at other people. We start to blame other people. It's like, he always, she never. If they would only, he won't, she can't, they shouldn't. And we think in our mind, if everybody just had my perspective and my wisdom, everybody would be happy. If everyone just did what I wanted, then everyone would get along and be happy. I love this quote that I heard from a sermon around this topic this week. This is what this pastor said. He said, if you are always blaming others for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. If you are always blaming others, if you're always pointing out, if you're always blaming others for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. Just think about this. Think about it this way. If you could hold your happiness in your hand as a concrete thing, would you hand that to a person that you're at odds with? Would you hand your happiness to another? Would you give them control of your well-being? Absolutely not. None of us would do that. But if you're always blaming others for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. Well, James is going to take us to the root cause now, what he says, of all conflict. And you need to buckle in because James is going to say that it makes no sense to point and blame Because they are not the problem. You are the problem. Before you get defensive and you start arguing your case with me, you say, wait, how can you even say that? You You don't even know the story. You haven't heard me tell my story. James would say, I don't have to hear your story. I know that the problem lies with you. Let's listen to James as he continues in verse two. He says, don't they... And that word they is referring back to fights and quarrels. Don't fights and quarrels come from your desires that battle within you. You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. James was not even subtle about what the problem is. He says, the problem is not them. The problem starts with you. The problem is simply that you are not getting something that you want. That's the bottom line for James. You are not getting something that you want. And that creates fights and quarrels and goes to the place where you actually want to kill someone. Now, you've got to understand that James is using a little bit of hyperbole here. He is writing to Christ followers They're not taking each other's lives, but in their hearts, they are at odds with one another. They're getting mad. They're powering up. They're hurting other people. They're arguing, criticizing, shaming, belittling. Maybe they're even backing away, isolating, passive-aggressive behavior, withdrawing from one another. It can take the form of silence, or it can take the form of violence. But at the end of the day, what James is saying is the reason that we're fighting and quarreling is because you are not getting what you want. 
Okay, Journey, let's just take a deep breath right now. And I just want to ask you this. What if, what if as we approach conflict, we could just metabolize that one idea? As we step into conflict, or as conflict steps toward us, as we feel the temperature start to rise, what if we just stopped and paused and we just asked the simple question that James is talking about here, what am I not getting? What is it that I want that I am not getting? What part of this conflict is me? Don't point outward, start by pointing inward. And here's what we're gonna see in relationships, any relationship, any real relationship, it will bring us into conflict, not just with other people, but it brings us actually into conflict with our own sinful self. Now I think about James as he writes this book, wondering what was his spectrum of conflict that he experienced in his life. He had siblings. He grew up with siblings that he probably had sibling rivalries with. Now here's what you have to understand. James's older brother was Jesus. How hard would that be to have Jesus as your older brother? When you show up to middle school and the teacher's talking about, oh, we had Jesus last year. He is so great. Why can't you be more like Jesus? How difficult would it be to be James? He had conflict and he understood what we need to do is not look at the other person, but we need to look at ourselves first. And this brother of James he taught on this very same thing as well. And probably one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter seven, he talks about this very thing, that the first thing that we ever do in conflict is to not point, not blame, but we turn the fingers toward ourselves. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse three. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. As I read what Jesus said there, I imagine that if he could explain it this way, he would say there's a couple of weapons that you can take to a conflict. One weapon is a magnifying glass, where you just say, I'm gonna look at the speck in your eye. Another weapon that you can take into conflict is a mirror, where you turn it around and you actually start to look at yourself. Here's what Jesus is saying. When you walk into a conflict, Put the magnifying glass down. This is the only thing that you need to start. You need to look at yourself. Look at the speck in your own eye. What do you need to own? And I think about this idea of these little sawdust, this little wood chips. Sometimes when we read that, because Jesus talks about one being a speck, 
and one being a log or a plank, I think we imagine that what he's trying to talk about is that the sin of the other person is small and your sin is so large. That's not the perspective that he wants us to have. What he wants us to understand is that when you come to any conflict, there is a speck in both people's eyes. But the speck that is in their eye seems small like a speck because it's at a distance. You can't see it closely. But the speck that is in your eye, what you need to own around the issue and the conflict, it is in your eye. When you hold up anything, even if it's small to your eye, it seems huge. As this is in front of my eye right now, I can't see anything in this room. It's like a huge plank. It's like a huge log. What Jesus is trying to help us understand when you walk into conflict, you need to own the thing that you can see the most clearly first. And that's the speck in your eye. What is it that you need to own? And when you see it, when you know, and you should be able to see it because it's in your life, it's in your heart, you own it. You own everything about it. You own it in front of others. Once you understand your part of the conflict, you take responsibility. Admit there's things that you've blown. Admit that there's things that you've done wrong. We don't try to conceal it. We don't try to deny it. We don't try to rationalize or blame, shift blame to another person. We own, without reservation and without hesitation, our part of the problem. And you know what this takes, friends? To do this well and to do this over and over, it takes an incredible amount of humility. We've got to start a conflict by owning our piece of the pie. And let me say this, even if you believe that if a pie of 100% is the full contribution to the conflict, if you feel like your contribution is only 2% of it, you start by taking 100% responsibility for your 2%. That's what Jesus is telling us, take the speck out of our own eye. And this doesn't mean that we never talk to people about their piece of the pie, but what Jesus is saying is that we start with us. We take care of what's going on in our heart first. And I can't promise you that this will always be the case, but this is what I've experienced in life. When we do that, when we approach conflict, and the first thing that we do is own our piece of it, it tends to lower the temperature of the conflict, when we can do that in genuine humility. Because here's what's true of people. We tend to respond to people the way that we are being treated. If we step into a conflict and we're just coming in attacking and accusing, you know what's gonna happen. Immediately, they're gonna get defensive and want to attack back. Come in with a posture of humility Owning what you need to own without reservation. Now let's go back to James because he's going to give us a little bit of a how-to. How do we understand what is actually happening in our own heart? As he finishes up here in James 4 verse 3, he says this. He says, you do not have that thing that you want because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. 
James is talking about the heart. What is happening in your heart around quarrels and fights? That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. He's saying you need to talk to God because our hearts are not always right. We need to understand what is happening in our heart. And that happens by starting a conversation, not with another person, but starting a conversation with God. You tell God, this is what I want. This is what I want that I'm not getting. You let him know your need first. And then you do this, friends. You take that magnifying glass and in great humility, you hand it up to God. And you say to him, God, you know my heart. You know me better than I know myself. God, will you show me my heart? Will you show me the things that are going? What is it that I really want? We give God the magnifying glass. There's a scripture from Psalm 139, a prayer of David. And I think this is one of the most beautiful pictures of handing the magnifying glass to God and asking him to reveal our heart to ourselves. Starting in verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You see the heart of David? That's the heart that we bring into a conflict when we stand before God. We say, God, don't show me I don't, you don't need to show me what's wrong with them. First, God, show me what is wrong with me. What is my speck? What is my contribution? What is my piece of the pie? So we hear from James and we hear from Jesus that the most difficult thing that we're gonna do in any conflict is to deal with our own heart first because everything in us wants to point the finger at someone else. Own our part first. But now I want to make it practical because let's say that you've dealt with your own heart. You know those things that you want. You've talked with God about it. You're understanding your motives. You're even maybe even purifying your motives somewhat. Eventually, you're going to have a conversation with another person. And I want to give you some practical things that I think you can do to make it safe for them to enter into a conflict with you. There's a picture that I want you to have in your mind, maybe a posture. Let's just imagine that this bottle right here represents the conflict. What we want to do in conflict is we want to attack the problem. We don't want to attack the person. So many times I think we have this posture that they're gonna be on one side of the table. I'm gonna be on the other side of the table. We're gonna get our arms across. We're gonna get our arms locked. And we're gonna arm wrestle. We're gonna work this thing out in that way. That's not the picture that God wants us to have. Imagine this, not being on the opposite side of the table, but come around. Come around to the same side of the table as them. Put your arm around them and begin to talk about, not about them, but talk about the problem. How are we gonna attack this problem together? And I wanna give you four things that I think you need to talk through and explain to them to help them understand your heart in the conflict. The first one is that you need to say, from my perspective in this conflict, from my perspective, this is what I'm observing. That's where we can just give our sense data. What have we seen? What have we heard? 
What is the data around this? As an engineer, I love the data. This is what I've seen and observed. But secondly, we need to communicate to them, this is how this is affecting me. Because conflict, problems, it affects us. You need to tell them, this is what it makes me think. This is how it makes me feel. These are the stories that I start to tell myself about this conflict and this problem. Start with, first, from my perspective, this is what I'm observing. Secondly, this is how it's affecting me. And third, we get to what James is talking about, where we actually communicate, this is what I want. This is my desire around this problem. Maybe even this is what I wish was going differently. But here's, this might be the most important thing that I say all day. If you can accomplish this in your conflict, I think it will move you down the road. When you talk about what you want, you've got to communicate on three different levels. The first level is, what do I want for me? Now, that's usually very easy for us. We know what we want for ourselves. But secondly, we've got to ask the question, what do I want for you? Not, not what do I want from you, for me, but what do I want for you? This puts us in the place. It makes us get around the table and think about them. It puts, us, puts our feet in their shoes. And it makes us start to think about what is a win-win in this conflict? Not a win-lose, but what is a win-win? If I know what I want for them, it creates the possibility for a win-win. And the third thing that we talk about, what do I want for me? What do I want for you? But I also talk about what do I want for us? What do I want for us in our relationship around this issue? This gives us the opportunity to think a little bit into the future. What is the vision of what I want our relationship to be like when this problem is resolved? And here's why I think this is so important. Uh, Carmen and I, someone shared this principle with us probably within the first couple years of our marriage and it has been so helpful. What I've observed is when we can actually take the time to slow down and communicate in that way that I know this is what she wants, this is what she wants for me, and this is what she wants for us, so many times, so many times I can't tell you that at the end of the day, what we realize is that we want the same thing oftentimes, but we're looking at it differently, the paths that we're taking to try to get there. But I know that she wants good for me. She's taken the time to think it through, and I've taken the time to think through those same things for her. What do I want for me? What do I want for you, not from you, and what do I want for us? So you've communicated, this is what I see happening. This, from my perspective, this is what I observe. You've communicated, this is how this is affecting me. You've communicated your wants on three different levels. Then the last thing that you need to do is a very humble and vulnerable thing. You take these weapons of conflict, the mirror and the magnifying glass, and you hand it to them. And this is how you hand it to them. You hand it to them by asking these questions. And all that I've shared to you, am I missing something? Do I have this right? Do you see it this way? Or do you see it in another way? This is a humble, humble way 
of handing the magnifying glass and the mirror to them. And this is what often happens. You just get to that place. When you can do that in this kind of a way, it lowers the temperature of a conflict because it reveals a heart that has a heart for another person. As we wrap up here this morning, wherever you're at, I wanna ask you this question. What is your next step? What is your next step around peace and resolving conflict in relationships? The question that I would ask you is this, where is God asking me to move toward peace in a relationship in my life? Let me say that again. Where is God asking me to move toward peace in a relationship in my life? Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a sibling, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker. Maybe the whole time that I've been talking, there's been a person that their face has been on the screen of your mind. I need to work through conflict with them. Let's give God an opportunity to speak into that. Where is he asking you to move towards someone in a conflict situation? Jesus, we need your help in this. There are places in our lives where relationships are broken and they need to be healed. And we might even be at a place where apart from your intervention, God, we won't have hope that those relationships can be restored. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. Jesus, you did everything to bring peace between us and you. You gave your life for us. You reconciled us to you when we were your enemies. Jesus, you know about bringing peace. Jesus, I pray for us as a Journey Church family that we would live out of the reality of what you've done for us, that you reconciled to us and that our heart would be to reconcile with one another. Jesus, over and over in this series, we see that our response in relationships needs to be what you've done for us. We love others the way you loved us. We're kind to others, Jesus, the way you were kind to us. We bring peace in relationships, Jesus, the way you brought peace to us. Would you take us there? For your name's sake, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.